Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Union Review Regional Roundtable series, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. My name is Nuno Gouveia, partner with Miranda Alliance, Miranda Associates. The DLA Global Employment Law Union Review series is classically our most popular series of the year, focusing on the most impactful regulations of past year and forecasting what employers can expect in the current year. Today, we are connecting with the ELA member for our Africa and Middle East region. Joining us on the program is Ilan Linder, a partner with Nashitz, Brandesh, Amir and Co. in Israel. Ilan, welcome. Thank you for joining us for this special Union Review podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Nuno. I'm fine. Happy to be here. Okay, Ilan. Hopefully, this is going to be a very good session. I know that you have some great news to us. So, Ilan. What are then the most significant legal changes in 2022 that impacted employers in Israel? Well, no, no. First of all, in terms of labor and employment legislation, 2022 was a very slow year. The government and the parliament were prematurely dissolved and the whole political system was focused on the elections that took place the beginning of November. I will speak on one material act, which was actually enacted in 2019, but came into force on July 2022. That is the Criminal Information Act. It is a comprehensive act on that subject with a specific employment chapter. It basically stipulates that other than specific entities like securities bodies and so on, who are permitted to access the criminal records, an employer cannot require the employee or applicant to produce their criminal records or certificate issued by the Israeli police concerning the criminal records and so on. It is actually a criminal offense in itself to require such a certificate. It is also forbidden to inquire a candidate or an employee about his or her criminal record or even to take into consideration such a record in considering hiring or termination of employment. Even if this information was obtained through open sources like the internet and so on. Now, clients and colleagues from other jurisdictions, especially the US, are often surprised by these strict rules about it, but it should be noted that it all comes from a very basic principle of the Jewish religion, which is forgiveness, allowing people to get back to the straight, rehabilitate, and so on. So this law, when came into force, required all employers to change their hiring practices, not to ask questions relating to criminal past or records. This is finished. This is very big news, Ila. What was the reaction of the labor market to this? Well, it came in in a few steps because there were court rulings that limited the options and then the law that came into force really, really finalized everything. So the practical alternative is having the candidate go through a reliability test or a reliability assessment by a special certified institute. And in this instant, the employer will only receive one line of recommendation to hire or not to hire. The employer will not get any information about criminal records and so on. So as I said, not so much legislation, but the courts were very active as usual. So in this respect, I want to briefly discuss one issue and the specific judgment by our 
Supreme Court. But maybe first a few words about the court system in Israel. The labor courts is an independent system, different and separated from the civil courts. The first instance for most labor issues is the regional labor courts. An appeal on those go to one national labor court in Jerusalem. Now, a few and only labor issues of wide influence or issues with contradicting precedents can get a specific leave for a review before the Supreme Court, which only rarely happens. This year, the Supreme Court took a case of a class action in order to set the precedent on this large issue. Class actions have become a very popular way to try and enforce employees' rights, especially against large employers, obviously. But the labor courts were quite hesitant to allow class actions. First, because in many industries and large employers in Israel, labor is organized and unionized. So the preference is for collective negotiations, collective legal actions, and so on. Second, the courts tend to say that many claims are too complicated or individually different from one guy to the other to be trialed as a group, as a class action. So in this class action against a large clothing retail firm, the argument was that sales commissions paid to salespersons should be considered as wages and should, as a result, carry all social benefits as such. The National Labor Court, in the appeal submitted before it, rejected the class action, arguing it's a complicated issue and requires individual fact-finding and so on. The Supreme Court took this case, accepted the petition against the ruling, and then gave out a judgment which greatly widens the nature of claims that can be filed and can be accepted as class action. The Supreme Court ruled that the complexities of the issues and the need to calculate individual compensation for each group member should not prevent filing and approving a class action. And this already impacted employers, the risk assessments they make already this year. So this maybe I should say those are the points we had taken into consideration in 2022. Well, Ilan, very big news coming out from Israel. Thank you for that insightful assessment. Let's talk for a moment about the impacts of changes in leadership or in government. What leadership or government changes impacted employment law in Israel over the past year? And what changes are you anticipating in 2023? Are they going to be big? Are they going to be relevant? Well, as I said, we had a general elections on November, the beginning of November. So from kind of a left-wing tending towards social state policy, the newly elected parliament and the new coalition and the new government leans much more to the right, to the conservative side of views. The new parliament and the new government, the beginning of the, of the year, they tend to deal mainly with constitutional issues, the relations between the judicial and the government and those kind of issues. The expectation, however, is that soon it will <laughs> try and lay out changes in the economy and the workforce and start doing legislation in the employment side of things. We expect that the government will try to make tax cuts, reduce deductions for national insurance, 
reduce health tax for working people, generally attempt to reduce fuel, electricity, and water prices, which gone up last year's. Another plan is to drastically reduce the number of workers in the public sector, which in view of the new government is too large, is inflated, it's expensive, and so on. As far as employment law per se is considered, we should expect that the government will make an effort to diminish unions' power because it's a conservative right-wing government. It will try to reduce unemployment benefits and increase certainty in labor contracts, which will be a blessing. We think these are basically the main issues the new regime will try to tackle this year. Very, very big news and hopefully a lot coming in the way during this year. Well, Ilan, I'm going to now touch upon the topic of remote work, which is still a reality and a hot topic for employers across the globe. My question is, how is Israel addressing hybrid work, work from home, return to the office, cross-border remote work? Meaning, do you have any work from anywhere program? How Israel is seeing this, say, new way of working from a country and policy standpoint? Well, actually, Nuno, as to your question, Israel is not really addressing the issue, actually. No legislation, no regulations were enacted as it relates to remote work, even after, you know, three years of debating it and so on. It is pretty much left for each business to find its way in the complex issues of remote work. But we did get from the Ministry of Labor, who published a white paper of recommendations for practices working away or working from home. And this at least gives you a view of the ministry's aspect of or the way of thinking about it. I'll just give you a few highlights. According to those recommendations, employers may enforce working remotely if the employers provides the means to do so. The equipment, the communication costs, and so on. The employer can also enforce return to the office. This is its discretion. But in some cases, forcing an employee to go home or to go back to the office may be considered as a decrease of working conditions and maybe have some issues with that. Also, it says that it's the employee's duty to continue to report working hours from home. If the employee uses technology to track the working hours, they need to get the informed consent of the employees. They are, of course, working from home or away, are entitled to the same terms of employment, training, benefits, and so on. Accidents at home during work are considered accident during work and getting the benefits as such. Basically, the recommendation is that employers an employee agree on the times and the duration of work from home, taking into account the conditions, the family, and so on. You know, working from home doesn't mean working all the time, so employees are entitled to the same working hours and so on. And let's see what the other recommendations are. Well, no need to pay travel expenses, right? That's a plus. An interesting point was about the anti-discrimination and equal opportunity. According to the ministry's recommendations, employers should not and cannot discriminate between employees on the possibility of working from home. And such a case was brought recently before the labor court. 
An employee filed a claim for compensation, arguing she was discriminated against. Her employer did not approve work from home, but her colleague got the approval to work from home. The court ruled against the claimant, stating that employers have a wide discretion on these issues. And if the distinction is not made on illegitimate grounds, it is well within the employer's prerogative to decide who works from where, and his considerations are legit. That's a very big decision, indeed. But we expect a lot of challenges in court in the future, this year for sure. Another interesting case involved the issues, the issue of what vacation means when working remotely. A claimant filed a class action against her employer, a local college. She alleged that the college required her attention with messages and emails during the vacation, and she should therefore receive her salary, and those days should not be considered as a vacation and taken off the vacation balance. Now, the National Labor Court acknowledged that work remotely and the use of emails, WhatsApp, and so on, makes it difficult to distinguish between what's work or what's rest or vacation. The court goes on to say that we shall need to carefully analyze at which point the rest or vacation lose its purpose because of the uh, attention and, and the emails and so on. The test is, as the court laid out, the test is the cumulative effect of those emails, WhatsApp messages, and so on. How often did the employee have to answer or read messages? How much attention and time those activities required? But the court said that even if an employee needs to answer some messages during the vacation, it still doesn't become a working day. So we are left as usual with, you know, the general rule of it depends on the circumstances, right? So in this specific case, the court found that the claimant sent one or two emails while on vacation, one or two emails a day while on vacation. And they were simple, they were short, and the claim was therefore rejected. By the way, the claimant tried to take it to the Supreme Court, but was rejected. This is not one of the cases that the Supreme Court would take. That's indeed a fantastic approach to what we call right to disconnect. Right. So very big news coming from Israel and a very interesting approach. Well, Ilan, my final question to you is, what are your predictions for 2023 regarding employment law places or changes? Meaning, what do you anticipate will have the biggest impact on HR and what employees in Israel will be expecting for this coming year? Yeah, well, we expect a few you know, hot topics to, to keep us busy this year. One is obviously working from home or remotely, which we discussed before. Other aspects that I think will require our attention is basically working from everywhere and working in different jurisdictions for employers in other jurisdictions, you know, raising questions of governing law. If an employee works from Sweden for an Israeli employer, should he be entitled to benefits under Swedish law or does he need a working permit from the Swedish authorities? Does it have any tax implications? Can you file a claim against an employer, an Israeli employer in Sweden? And another aspect is, is the business-related expenses while working from home. We expect collective bargaining and class actions on this issue. 
We have already heard rumblings from employees, the unions, and so on. We expect uh, to see those kind of procedures. Also, we can expect a wave, a new wave of class actions on different issues. This is the result of the Supreme Court's decision we have discussed before. And finally, gig economy, right? No podcast is whole without it, right? <laughs> so, Indeed. Indeed. So one of the results of the Supreme Court's decision was that the original labor court decided to allow a class action, which was filed by couriers against Volt, the food delivery company. The question is obviously, what is the nature of the relations between the parties? Is it employment or independent contracts and so on? And it should be noted that Israeli law does not recognize a third or a middle class or status. It is either employment relations or contractors relations. So the original court allowed the class action. But this is a big issue, obviously, with, with many interests involved and many large companies involved. So an appeal was filed and uh, it will probably be decided by the National Labor Court this year. But because it's such a big issue, we think it will go all the way to the Supreme Court and we wish it will go all the way to the Supreme Court to finally get a precedent to bring some stability to this platform economy, so to speak. So basically, Nuno, I can assure you that 2023 will be another interesting year of employment law in Israel. So you should stay tuned. Indeed, indeed. And that topic of gig economy is indeed quite interesting. And I would say, alongside remote work, one of the hot topics everywhere currently. So, Ilan, many thanks for, for your insights. To our audience, this is all the time that we have today. Ilan, thank you for sharing your insights with us about Israel on this special ELA Year in Review podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Nuno. And thank you, listeners, for also for tuning in. I hope this program has been as insightful for you as it has been for me. If you would like to connect with Elon, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.law. Information about all the programs available in the 2023 Elon Review series can be accessed in the notes of this podcast. You've been listening to the Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Nuno Gouveia. Thanks for listening.